Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel. One more time, and we'll be in Daniel chapter number 11 tonight. We'll finish chapter number 11. Uh, we've been, it's been a while since we've been in Daniel, so we're going to have to refresh ourselves a little bit, but uh, we'll be able to do that. And Next week, I'm thinking maybe we will finish the book of Daniel. That'll be great. Uh, Chap wants to finish the message that he had last week, and so maybe what we'll do is next week finish Daniel, then he'll come in the following week and finish that if he's available to do that. Then I've been praying about where to go next. Uh, uh, Lois suggested we go to Jeremiah and Lamentations. (laughs) She really suggested that. (laughs) I said, Lois... We, we ran everybody off with James, and now you want me to go to Lamentations and Jeremiah. I mean, can you imagine spending a couple of years in Lamentations and Jeremiah? They wouldn't be one of you. It would be me and Lois left. <laughs> I don't even know if Chet would stay for that. Uh, seriously, I mean, Jeremiah's a great book. Lamentations is a great book, but it, it's, it's, it's not, they aren't my favorite. I mean, Jeremiah's one of my favorite prophets, but that book is tough. Lamentations is tough. There's a couple of verses in Lamentations that stand out like a, you know, a great light, but uh, the rest of it, it's, it's lamenting. It's lamenting the fall of their nation. And so we might go there one day, but I'm thinking another book. I'm thinking maybe Ecclesiastes. Now, a lot of people think Ecclesiastes is a lamentation, but it's not. It's, 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 it, actually, you want to find some real encouragement, read the book of Ecclesiastes and then when you see it structured in the way that I think Solomon intended for it to be stru- structured, uh, it really, the book is really a great blessing. So I think maybe we might go to the book of Ecclesiastes, but, but uh, if you got any suggestions, I mean, don't give me Obadiah or Jeremiah or Lamentations or any of those, because I'm probably not going to go there. Uh, we do try to go book by book, and maybe what we'll do is go to Hosea. You know, we're in Daniel, maybe Hosea might be the next book. Hosea's not too bad, but but uh, we'll see where we're heading. But anyway, we're in Daniel tonight, and we're in chapter number 11. If you remember last time when we were here, we, we uh, left off in uh, verse number 35. And verse number 35 signifies a change in what Daniel has been teaching us, a change in the vision. What the angel is going to tell Daniel, beginning in verse 35, that now he's going to talk about Look at look in verse number 35. He says the time of the end. And that's different from the last days. The last days or the latter days are any days after a word is spoken. So when somebody says in the last days, that means in any of the future days from that point on. But when you see the end time, you can be pretty much sure that the prophet or the angel is speaking of the very last time. He's speaking of the time of the great tribulation. So what we've seen up until now, we've seen uh, things that would take, uh, take place in and around Israel uh, in the immediate future after Daniel's death, in the 300 years or so after his death leading up to the death of Antiochus Epiphanes. And that's really where we left off last time. But as we pick up in 36, uh, again, 35 kind of serves as a bridge, but as we pick up in 36, it, it's a clear uh, it's, it's marked clear there that we're heading into something different. That we're heading into, uh, in, into the, to 
the end time and we're going to be looking at a different team, a different king. We're going to be looking at a king of the end times. Now, the identity of that king has been the subject of debate, especially this last part of Daniel, for centuries. You know, theologians have debated over who this king is for centuries. I'm not talking so much about the specific identity of his name, but, but who does he lead in the last days? And so there's been all sorts of uh, theories as to who this king is uh, that's described from verse 36 to verse number 45. Uh, Ibn Ezra, who was a great Jewish scholar in the Middle Ages, John Calvin, who was the great reformer, they believe that the king described here uh, is one of the Roman empires, uh, or one of the Roman emperors who ruled the Roman Empire and, uh, you know, kind of was a forerunner like Antiochus Epiphanes of the Antichrist. That's who they believed it was. But, uh, but most scholars, including a lot of famous scholars like Jerome and Theodora and, and uh, Luther, uh, most and most modern uh, conservative theologians believe that the king described here is none other than the Antichrist, who will be a one-world leader during the the Great Tribulation. He will lead a revived Roman Empire. He actually is the little horn of Daniel chapter seven, and we talked a lot about this guy when we were in Daniel chapter 7. And that seems to fit the text because of what we see in verse number 35 where it says, uh, in the end times. So as picking up in verse number 36, I think what we get here is a description of the Antichrist. And we'll get some information about the Antichrist here beginning in verse 36 that is different from any information we get anywhere else in the Bible. So it's important if you're studying the end times to, to look at this, this last passage in Daniel 11. So pick up with me in, in verse number 36 and listen to what Daniel says. He says, Then the king, this king, shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. Now who's the God of gods? Jehovah is the God of gods. And he shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. Who determined it? God, in his foreknowledge before the foundation of the world, knew exactly what was going to happen as described here in the last part of Daniel chapter 11. So God's still on his throne. Even though this guy is going to think he's on the throne, God is telling us here that he's still on his throne. Now, who does this guy sound a lot like? When you listen to it, it says here he, he, he does according to his own will. He exalts and magnifies himself above every God, even above Jehovah. Who does that sound like? Satan. It sounds like Satan. And it should sound like Satan because the Antichrist is going to be possessed by Satan himself. We know that from elsewhere in Scripture. So, so you would expect him to sound a lot like uh, Satan. And he's going to be able to do according to his will. Anything he wants to do, he's going to be able to do because he's going to have all of this power. He's going to have this power is going to be given to him by Satan. And he's going to uh, bring the world into this one world government. And he's going to rule that world. 
and he's going to exalt himself above all gods, even above Jehovah God. And he will prosper until the wrath has been accomplished. Now, whose wrath is the angel speaking of here? Whose wrath is he speaking of? Is he speaking of the wrath of the Antichrist? Is he speaking of the wrath of the devil? No, whose wrath is he speaking of? He's speaking of the wrath of God. The great tribulation, when God allows the Antichrist to rule this world, the great tribulation is going to be part of the wrath of God on an unbelieving world. I think sometimes that's true even before we get to the great tribulation, that some of the leaders we get are part of the wrath of God on an unbelieving nation. And so, so this isn't, isn't anything new. It's just going to be magnified in a greater way because he's going to rule the world and we know that he's going to rule it for a determined time. And how long is that time determined? We, we, seven years, but he's going to have uh, absolute power for how many years? Three and a half years. And that's when he, he's going to come into the temple. He's going to declare himself to be God. He's going to commit the abomination of desolations. And then the great tribulation is going to begin. But that great tribulation is, is in the hands of God. He's being, a, he's being used by God to exercise judgment on the world. Now, we get some interesting information about him in verse number 37. Look at verse number 37. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Now, that phrase there, the God of his fathers, sounds familiar too. You see that elsewhere in scripture. And who does that refer to? It refers to Jehovah God, but who's, 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 who's the recipient of that? The Jews. So a lot of people believe that, that the fathers are the Jews, and so that the Antichrist must be Jewish. And they use this verse as proof text that the Antichrist, is, they conclude that the Antichrist is a Jew. Now, but that's not, that phrase doesn't necessarily mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, the word God there is Elohim, which is plural for God. And it's generic for any God. So really, it's the gods of the, his fathers. And so... Uh, that could refer to pagan gods. That could refer to maybe he was a Christian or maybe he was a Jew. Maybe, you know, that is a possibility. But it could be any god or gods, any religion, or especially any pagan religion. And so it, it simply means that he doesn't worship the god of his countrymen, whoever that god is. And we see like leaders like that uh, all the time. Who does he worship? Who does he worship? If he exalts himself above God, who does he worship? Himself. That's who he worships. Now, here's the problem with that. When anybody wants to be God, what do they need to be God? They need power. And if you exalt yourself above Jehovah God, I promise you this, you will get no power from God. So where will your power come from? Your power will come from Satan. So anybody who, there's no such thing. I don't believe there's any such thing as an atheist. I believe everybody believes in some kind of God. And if you don't believe in a God, then you're making yourself God. And so what these, these godless religions do are these godless governments like communism, uh, Nazis, socialism. 
They need power. And so where do they get that power? They're not going to get that power from God. So where do they get that power? They get it from Satan himself. And so they open themselves up to demonic possession. And really, you, you see things like uh, the Soviet communists. And I really believe the, the Nazis, they were run by a horde of demons. A lot of those guys would say that they were atheists, but they really weren't atheists. They were, they were worshiping a different God. They were worshiping Satan. And so, uh, again, there's nothing new under the sun. But here's something else interesting. He has no desire for, for women. I mean, he's so self-absorbed that he has no place for women in his life. Now, this has led a lot of people to believe that he is a homosexual because he has no desire for women. But it doesn't say there that he has any desire for men. I, I think maybe that he's asexual, that he doesn't, he doesn't, he's so into himself and so into his power and becoming this great leader that he has no time or desire for sex. Now, he might be a homosexual that would fit there. But I'll tell you this, I, I remember when everybody was saying Bill Clinton was the Antichrist. I said, well, he can't be the Antichrist because he has desire for women. So it rules him out. So you could use that to rule some people out. But he shall exalt himself above all gods. But really, he's going to be possessed by the devil. That's who he's worshiping. And the devil's going to use this guy to, to do all of these terrible things that are going to happen on the earth. Then in first, verse number 38, it says... But in their place, he shall honor a God of fortresses. And that's where he's going to see his power. He's going to see his power coming from his military might. And a God which his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. And so uh, he's going to, you know, worship wealth. And uh, in order to solidify his power, I believe he's going to open himself up to demonic possession. And actually, he's going to be possessed by the devil. And so, indirectly, he's going to be worshiping the devil. And then in verse 39, then he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god. And I'm, I believe, that again, that's demonic powers, which he shall acknowledge in it and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. And, and so uh, all of this takes place after the abomination of desolations. When he comes into the temple, he declares himself to be God. And then all hell literally breaks out on the earth. And at that point, he is really Satan incarnate. And it's really Satan that's wreaking all of this havoc on the earth, especially against the church, especially against the Jews. Because he'll hate the Jews, he'll hate the church, and there'll be this great persecution. But where's most of the church at this time? Gone. Out of here. And there'll be a, a remnant of people saved during this time. They call them the Great Tribulation Saints. And he'll persecute them, but uh, he's not going to persecute me or you. We're going we're to be out of here. So uh, that's the good news. Then in verse number 40. At the time... now. Let me say this. He's going to consolidate his power, and he's going to have a one-world order, but it's not going to, he's not going to rule the entire earth. And, and anybody that says that is not reading the Bible. He, he doesn't take control of the entire earth. He has, it comes close, and it's probably the greatest empire the earth has ever seen and, and probably the most 
powerful militarily, but he's still going to have enemies on this earth. God's going to leave him some, some enemies on this earth and, and some, some very significant enemies. Because look at verse number 40. At the time of the end, the king of the south. Now, we know the king of the south would be those southern kingdoms below Israel. Uh, we've already seen that in earlier uh, verses. Uh, the king of the south really is led by Egypt. So this will be a coalition led by Egypt. The king, of, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north. Now, the king of the north would be what? Probably Syria and an, a Muslim alliance coming out of that northern region, Turkey, Syria, that area, will come against the Antichrist. It's one of the reasons, again, I believe that he's European, because you have these Muslims, various Muslims coming against him. But now you could have a Sunni-Shiite uh, war there, too, that this could be speaking of. So you can't rule that out. We're, we can't be sure. But anyway, we know that the, um, the north from, and we want to keep this in context, from previous verses included that coalition north of Israel and the, the, uh, the south included that coalition uh, of Egypt in that area, Syria and those countries in the north and Egypt and those countries in the south. Uh, but, he's, but they're not going to have success against him. May, possibly even Russia. And a lot of people see Russia as part of that. Maybe Russia's gone at this time because it depends on where you place Ezekiel 38. If you place that Ezekiel 38 war, then Russia is, is, is destroyed. If you say Ezekiel, if you place that war before this time, then Russia would be, before Armageddon, then Russia would be out of the picture. If you uh, place it at Armageddon, then it very well could include Russia. And it very well could include a remnant of Russia coming in with this coalition. So you, we can't be sure what this northern coalition is made of. Now, you can tie it to other passages, but you still can't be absolutely sure. But I believe he's going to be resisted by these Muslim countries in the south led by Egypt and these Muslim countries, uh, countries in the north uh, led by Syria and Turkey. Uh, but they're not going to prevail. He's going to, he's going to defeat them. Look in verse 41. It says, and he shall also enter the glorious land. So at this time, he's going to come down to Israel. He's going to declare himself to be God. He's going to enter the glorious land. And many countries will be overthrown. Actually, you kinda, it kind of looks like that's where he's going to set up his headquarters. Because that's where Armageddon takes place. And so it looks like maybe he comes to Jerusalem, declares himself to be God, defames the temple, uh, says that he's God, that he's to be worshipped, and he sets up his headquarters there in Jerusalem. That's, that's a possibility. But these will escape from his hand. And this, this is really interesting here. Edom, Moab, and Ammon. They're going to escape. Now, those aren't, those aren't powerful countries. What do those three countries make up today? You know? Jordan. Make, that's Jordan. Jordan's a, you know, got a decent military, but, but you couldn't imagine... Jordan defeating, not being defeated by the Antichrist. Personally, I think God protects them so that he can protect Israel. Because I think that's where Israel is going to flee. The remnant of Israel that, that survives this thing is going to flee during the Great Tribulation. It could be that the Antichrist just says, you know, they're not worth fighting over. You know, I'll fight these big kingdoms to the north and these big kingdoms to the south, but I'll get these guys later. And so they're spared. And they're spared for a reason. We'll look at that in just a second. But anyway, it says, He shall also enter the glorious land of Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. 
He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So the king of the south is going to be defeated. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians. So we do see who's part of this southern coalition. And that would make sense because they're all, those three countries are together down in northern Africa. And they shall follow at his heels. And so, so uh, the Libyans and Ethiopians join with, with uh, Egypt and they're all defeated. And, and the Antichrist comes and takes a great spoil from the land. Now. Here's what I want to look at now. What happens to Israel? You know, I, I, you listen to different prophecy teachers and you hear different things about Israel during the Great Tribulation. I, for years, I thought that Armageddon was Israel against the rest of the world. And I, and I think a lot of people teach that. I don't believe that anymore, especially if you look at what, what's going on right here. I don't believe that at all. I think the Antichrist comes and he, he, he is intent on not only defeating Israel, but killing every Jew. Because who's he, who's, who's he filled with at this point? He's, he's, he's Satan incarnate. And just like I believe Hitler might have been Satan incarnate. And, and his, Satan's number one goal, or you could say it's a tie, one and two, is to destroy the church and destroy the Jew. And he wants every Jew dead. And if you read in the Olivet Discord, Jesus seems to, to say when this time comes, when the abomination of desolation takes place, remember what he says? Then flee. Get out of there. Because all, you know what's about to break loose. You're, 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 you know, you're going to be destroyed. You, you want to flee that area. And he seems to indicate that in the Olivet Discord that a remnant of the Jews will be saved. And that's exactly what we're told over in the book of Revelation. You want to turn there, you can, but I can read it to you if you don't want to turn there. But Revelation chapter 12, verses 14, 16, listen to what he says. He says, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. This is the, the, uh, the nation of Israel. That she might fly to the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and a times and a half time. So what do we know time and time and a half times is? Three and a half years. So she will be nourished. She'll be kept for the entire period of the great tribulation from the presence of the serpent. Now, why the serpent? Because the serpent is the Antichrist. The, this Antichrist is, is Satan incarnate. So the serpent spewed out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might uh, commit another holocaust, uh, that he might cause her to be carried away by that flood, that she might be totally destroyed. But the earth, now here's what's interesting. It says in Revelation 16, it says, I mean, chapter 12, verse 16. It says, but the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So the earth opens up, and prevents the devil from committing this holocaust against this remnant of Jews. Now, where would they flee? They can't go to the north because they can't go to the east because they'll be in the Mediterranean Sea. They can't go to the north because that 
area has been defeated and captured by the Antichrist. They can't go to the south because that area has been defeated and captured by the Antichrist. So where can they head? There's only one place they can head, and that's east. Now, somebody says, a west. Thank you, Chad. That's west, and where is that? That's Jordan. No, that's east. I had it wrong. They can't go west because if they go west, they'll be in the Mediterranean. They, they, so they have to go east. They have to go into Jordan. They have to go to the east side of the Jordan. And there's a place there called Petra. It's a city carved out of a cliff. Petra, we talked about it Sunday, means cliff, great rock. There's this great city. And a lot of scholars believe that that's where this remnant is going to flee and they're going to leave and house themselves in the city of Petra for that three and a half years. I don't believe that. That's a possibility, certainly. I don't believe it. And let me tell you the reason I don't believe it, because Satan is not dumb. He hears what we're saying right now. He knows that that city is there. He knows that all these scholars are saying that's where they're going to flee. So I, I don't think they're going to go there. They could. That's a possibility. Who knows? But I almost see where it says the earth opens up. I almost believe that God opens a special place for them. He opens it up and he closes it and he protects them for three and a half years. I mean, certainly a place like Petra, where there's these caverns and places where they can live and survive. But, but uh, whether it's Petra itself, you know, I'd say 80% of the scholars would say it is Petra. But the devil knows that. And I think he would, he would head to Petra to kill them. So... So who knows? But God could protect them. So, you know, we, we, we can't be sure. All right, verse 44 then. But the news from the east and the north will trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out from a great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Now, he knows he's in trouble. Because we know from the book of Revelation that there's an army coming from the east, really the far east, an army of 200 million soldiers, 200 million soldiers. And we're told in Revelation 16, that's an Asian army, China and, and that coalition from that area. And we're told in Revelation 16 that the great river Euphrates will dry up and the, that, so that the way of the kings of the east is prepared and they will gather their armies to converge on Armageddon. Now, where's the Antichrist at this point? It all makes sense. It ties, down, ties together perfectly. He's in the glorious land. He's in Jerusalem. And so Armageddon is in between Mount Moriah and, and the Great Sea, the Mediterranean. And so uh, they will gather there with their armies. You know, it's really interesting. In the 1980s, the Turks built a series of dams, I think 22 dams in total. But they went, built one dam in particular on the Euphrates River, but they built one dam in particular. It's called the Ataturk Dam. It's 600 feet high. And with a flip of a switch, they can dry up the Euphrates River. Just flip the switch and they dam up the river. Now, does God need the Turkish dam to, to dam up the river? No. But uh, they could. They could dam the whole thing up to where where the armies of the east could march right across and, and go after the Antichrist. So uh, who knows? As far as that group from the north, I, 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 it, again, it depends on how you 
interpret Revelation 38 and 39, that, those chapters, whether that's Russia or not, but I, I tend to think it is Russia. It's Russia and China seem to, you know, always be in cahoots uh, together, and that would make sense that they would come against a European leader like this, one world leader, if they thought, saw weakness in him and, and they thought they could defeat him. And all of these armies gather together in Armageddon. Look at verse number 45. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas. The seas is a word, an Israel word for the Mediterranean. And the glorious holy mountain, Mount Moriah. Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. And that's it. That's it. He will come to his end, and nobody's going to help him. At that point, Daniel says, the angel says, Daniel, shut the book up. Don't worry about it anymore. But we know some additional information, don't we? From the book of Revelation. I mean, he's got his armies positioned in Armageddon. And here come the, these evil Chinese armies and these evil Russian armies. And they all gather in this one spot. And they're about to have this great war. And they look up. And there's a fourth army coming. Coming out of the sky. You and, you and me might be. You and I might be. Is it you and me or you and I? We might be, we might be riding a horse with the Lord. We don't need any weapons. <laughs> but we'll be coming with him and, and by his word, boom. This whole thing ends. Go with me for a minute. Well, let's read about it. We'll go to Revelation chapter 19. We can't. I mean, the angel left off. It's interesting this thing was sealed to the end times, to the end. And now we're able to read about it here now in Revelation chapter 9. Look in verse number 11, 19, I'm sorry, Revelation 19, verse number 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Daniel, Daniel saw this guy earlier in, in, in this chapter, actually in chapter 10. So, so it's the same guy. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head... Were, on his head were many crowns, and he had the name written no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Logos, the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was and is God, John tells us in John chapter 1. And the armies of, in heaven clothed in fine linen, that's you and me, by the way, if you make it to the, to the rapture, White and clean, man, I can't wait for that. White and clean, glowing and clean might be it. Luminous and clean might be a perfectly righteous. Followed him on white horses. I can't wait to see my white horse. I don't know about you. <laughs> might be a Harley. What do you think? No. Don't think so. They're too loud. Now out of my, his mouth goes a sharp sword at, that with it he should strike the nations, those nations that are gathered there at Armageddon. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fiercest and, and his wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen, huh? 
And then it goes on, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and all these armies that had gathered together to make war with each other uh, against him who sat on, actually they turned against the Lord, against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And what does the Lord do? He speaks and this thing's over. It's over. Nobody there to help the Antichrist. Nobody there to help Russia. Nobody there to help China. The Lord ends this thing. And then in verse 20, the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of burning, the lake of fire burning with brimstone. By the way, if, if uh, you make it to the great white throne judgment seat, you'll get cast in there with those guys. So you'll get to meet them. I don't want to meet them, but you will if you don't. Get straight with the Lord. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Wow. The end. We win. That's the story. You know, we can look at the first part of Daniel 11. And because those events have taken place already, we can see the minute detail of how God fulfills his promises, how he fulfills his word, how he fulfills prophecy. Now, have we figured all of the last part of Daniel out perfectly? No. There's probably 30 different opinions out of the 30 people in this room on how this all ends. And you could read 30 books about it and you get 30 different opinions on how it all ends. But I'll tell you this, we do know this about how, all, how it all ends. The Antichrist and his armies will be defeated. And that age, that we, the age in which we live in now, the age of this world, the age of mankind will end. And the kingdom of God will begin. And we will go into the great, tri- uh, not the great tribulation. <laughs> And to the great millennium uh, for a thousand years and rule, with re- rule and reign with Christ on this earth. That's how it's going to end. And just as those minute details were fulfilled in the first part of Daniel 11, when all of this is over, you can look back and you'll see every single one of those details fulfilled in the last part of chapter 11. Exactly as God intended them to be fulfilled. What does that do for us? That should encourage us. To know that God's got this thing. He's in control. He has a plan. And if he has a plan for the nations, he has a plan for your life. He sees the future of your life. He can make a prophecy about your life. It might not seem to be going so well right now, but he's got a plan for you. A great plan for you in this life and in the life to come. If you just let him do it, he'll, he'll fulfill it in a way that you'll be blessed beyond your wildest imagination.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and what you teach us through prophecy and how we, through prophecy and fulfillment of prophecy, we, we learn to trust you and trust your word and trust all of your promises, Lord. Every single one of them are going to come true just as you said they would. Lord, the greatest promise we have is that one day we will see Jesus and we will be like him. One day soon, Lord, that you're going to come and, and blow, someone's going to blow, the angel's going to blow that trumpet and Lord, we're going to meet you in the sky and we're going to be with you forever. What great promises we have, Lord, and what great plans you have for us throughout eternity. I just thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy that makes all of those things possible. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's his name that I pray. Amen.